Welcome to How I Raised My First Known Podcast, where we deep dive into founders and fund managers and how they secure their first investments. Support Asian Hustle Network by subscribing to our newsletter on AsianHustleNetwork.com and attend our annual Uplifter Conference in Las Vegas in 2024. Hey everyone, welcome to yet another episode of How I Raised My First Known Podcast by Asian Hustle Network. Today we have a very special guest and a dear friend in beautiful Las Vegas. His name is Andrew. He's the founder and COO of Offsite. Offsite is a tech company that enables the future of construction. So more on Offsite. So Offsite started in February 2022. They raised two separate rounds. The second round is basically a rolling round. But basically on June 16, 2020, they raised from two investors. On March 31st, 2021, they raised from 22 investors, which is amazing. I can't wait to dive into this. They raised from numerous angel investors. They also raised from the MBA fund, the employee stock option fund, the 10X fund, Boston Nova, Alumni Ventures, and also did a syndicate round with Gangels. Andrew, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yes. So we're super excited to have you on. I just want to hear more about your founding story, right? How did you meet your co-founder? How did this idea come about? Like, We want to hear more about it. So I've met my co-founder in college, freshman year of college. This was 2006. So that ages me a bit. But yeah, I've known him for a long time. Um, that's when I first met him. After college, we kind of went out separate ways, worked in finance consulting. And then we started to kind of partner up and get back into technology. So we started this uh, consulting firm that was MG help industrial companies go more digital, right? And we did that for a few years. And that kind of rolled into kind of why we started offsite. Is we started seeing this like market movement in construction where there's a lot of prefabrication or what we call offsite construction happening where you do most of the build within a factory, like a set uh, building. And that becoming more and more common that we saw this as a very big opportunity in the space for the next five to 10 years. So me and my co-founder think, let's just, you know, stop doing consulting and just productize what we have as an idea, then start offsite. And then we started fundraising from there. I love it. I love it. Yes, you guys successfully raised a seed round on $64 million. So that's a pretty healthy, big seed round. And I want to dive deep into it and hear a lot more about that side. But I just want to give our listeners an understanding of where you were at the time, like at where you were in your life. Like, were you a first time founder? Or you were a second time founder? How'd you get into this role? Yeah, it was a first time founder, right? Um, and then we had some expertise because we did consulting for some of these clients. So we kind of learned what the pain points were, right? And that's going to be very important for the fundraising process because you got to explain what the problem solution would be, like what problem are you solving within the market and having that, you know, direct, you know, interaction with the clients and how you built the software, how it has value to the business. That story is very important. Yeah. And to be honest, like the way that you can explain your company and your product really well, even from the first time that we met, right? Like you're so able, you're able to articulate that really well. So I'm not really surprised that you're able to raise 6.4 million in your first seed round. So uh, we're going to dive into that for a bit. Uh, first, I want to say congratulations on doing that. I want to hear the strategy that you had, like, reaching out to your very first investor how'd you get your very first and second and you took a year break right how what, what was the catalyst to be like hey we need to go out there and raise more money yeah i think part of it is just drew your you know network of more or less friends and families kind of where you start and then you know we reached out to some founders that were in adjacent spaces right so like we're in you know more like blue collar productivity management type software so as you meet these other founders, they may have other investors that would be interested in investing in you because they invested in them, right? 
So you kind of piggyback off the network. And typically, you know, as you know, tech founder, tech founder, always very friendly, right? We, we want to help the community itself. So always have to give like during most of my time for feedback, give us a bit, a pass on a deck or two to my existing investors, see if they want to have an introduction. So that's kind of how you kind of get the ball rolling. Um, and then, you know, from there, you got to like demonstrate kind of traction, vision, include your storytelling, and then eventually you get one or two of these seed angel funds that know a lot more people. And then you just like, you know, branch out and reach out for more introduction. Yeah, I really like that that strategy too, right? Just reach out to your immediate network, kind of ask around, see who's doing like a venture fund, who's investing to what. What people have come to realize is that as it like the more you ask, people are actually very generous and like helping you out, right? It just takes oh, yeah. you getting ready for for fundraising, like asking and making the right decisions every single time. It's not just like I'll ask and I'll send a deck like a week later. You have it already ahead of time. Oh yeah. You can make it as easy as possible for them to share it. Right. Like it's ready here. You want to send me this way? Like what what the best method for you to kind of receive it? So it's more or less pretty seamless for them to kind of just like pour an email out if they have to. Yeah. I just like for you in particular, particular, right? I, I think in Normally, like when we had other guests on the podcast, they would talk about their experience, but I have no network. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to cold email everybody and LinkedIn, everything. For you in particular, I'm just so fascinated that you have 24 investors, right? And yeah. what is what's it like dealing with so many like angel investors and, and VCs and, and, and syndicate funds all at the same time? Yeah, so one of the things that kind of really helped us snowball is that after every meeting, we say, hey, do you know a few investors that would be interested, right? And typically everyone knows, or they want to say, that, yeah, no, three, four people, right? Say, oh, yeah, can you forward them their, this deck? Who else do you know? And then even in their kind of network, for example, let's say a founder is investing as an angel, they may have four or five, you know, pretty close network, you know, other angels that they invest in. Then you have like six investors right there, right? Because he invested, he can tell their network why he invested and why he's a good fit. And typically it becomes like a pretty fast process. Um, so I would say, you know, just be mindful in terms of like, there are super networkers out there that can get these these things done pretty quickly. So if you find one of them, just like recognize it and just like leverage it as much as you can. No, I love it. I love it. Yeah, I mean, I definitely feel it the same way too. Like, I feel like personally, you're a super like networker as well, right? We met at this uh like a networking party in Vegas or something, <laughs> something super random. Um, I can tell already yeah. that you're really good at presenting yourself in a very professional, trustworthy manner. Um, to kind of really help our listeners out because a lot of them are first time founders, have never raised before. How did they get their first, first, first check? Let's say, for example, if they don't have like a friends and family round that can really help them out. What kind of strategies can they lean towards to get that very first check to get the ball rolling on their side? Um, I think my first, very first check, to be honest, was when I left my job and then I was doing consulting and my old boss, when working in finance, gave me a check, kind of a blank check. They, hey, you know, I believe in you. I'm not sure what the product is about, but, you know, I'm willing to invest as much, right? So that's kind of where it starts. It's just people that you work with in the past that, you know, really believe in what you want to do. Um, and then from there, you know, their network is typically pretty extensive. They're a little bit older, right? They've been in the industry for 10, 20, 30 years. That also kind of helps. Um, so you kind of need to start where you can start. But 
But then, you know, applying to accelerators is also a very big kind of network branch that you can get into. So I know like Y Combinator is the kind of the creme de la creme, but there's others out there that will probably add a lot of value depending on what you want to do. So if you're doing enterprise software, consumer apps, you know, consumer goods, there's probably some accelerator that kind of geared towards that. And then that also brings the angel investors to come to the demo days and stuff like that. So those accelerators actually boost you up pretty well. Yeah, that's definitely a really, really good strategy, right? You don't have a network. You definitely need to look into accelerator programs to kind of get your feet wet. Uh, I think it's just so intimidating as a first-time founder, as you know, right? Just getting, like, what is the term sheet? What do they want from me? You hear all these things about venture capital before you even fundraise. You're like, they're there just to take your company. You need to watch out how much equity you're giving up. They're going to ask for a board seat. And that's kind of the question I want to ask you, right? Um, yeah. For investors, mm-hmm. do you how do you like, communicate first of all with everybody how do you make sure that everyone that that invests into your company and provides value to you and secondly how do you deal with so many different personalities it's like you're dealing with a whole classrooms of investors yeah yeah most most of these especially if you write small checks they write you know 10 to 15 a year every year so they don't plan to essentially keep in touch with all the investors and be fairly hands-on they pretty much just want a quarterly email that gives you an update they're like all right you know Keep going, guys. Great job. And that's all they say. <laughs> right? It's more that's all they say. Um, some angels do want to help. The, hey, you know, um, great. This is great progress. Let me know how we can help. And then when they do that, when you send the investor update and they like are very positive and happy to help you, then you, you ask for the help. Like, do you know any, any more investors that could potentially help us? Or do you know any content in the industry? Because we're trying to get this client or that client. That always helps, right? So, you know, having that quarterly email or if you want to do monthly, you can do monthly as well based on, you know, what kind of industry you're in. Um, if it's a consumer app and you're growing like crazy, monthly would actually be a better better bet. You just get more engagement with your investors. But it kind of is it kind of depends on what you're building. You know? So I would yeah. say communication is key. And then if the investors are happy, they're more than willing to help you out to grow your business. So everyone's in it doing it. Yeah, yeah. Let's dive deep into that. I know you mentioned that just keep your investors happy via communication. Um, I guess mm-hmm. I have I have a two part question, right? The second part is like I know for angel investors, typically they they are a little bit more hands off, depending on who they are. But for venture capital funds, they typically want to be a little bit more hands on. And it looks like you have a handful, right? Yeah. So looking at who, I'm not sure who led the round, but looking at whoever led the round, I'm pretty sure they had like terms and conditions set for the other venture funds that were expected to come in. Did you have mm-hmm. to give up extra control or privileges to these various funds? And if you're a first time founder again, what will have what would you have done differently? Yeah, so typically for seed funds, you don't need to do it per se, especially if you're on a safe note. So the one of the big benefits of a safe note is shares don't actually convert, right? It essentially, it's more like a promise note that in the next round of financing, there'll be, you know, initiate preferred stock that'll be handed out. The safe would essentially convert to preferred stock. So that's kind of when, like, you know, shares are given out to all the investors and then ownership is kind of established in, in that. Um, so, you know, typically for the seed round, you may or may not have a board, right? Uh, you may give one, one like four seed out, hopefully only one, right? Uh, and that person can help you help you get to the next next stage, which is like the series A. Or, um, and then they have a network of investors they can kind of intro you to. So that's kind of where it goes. And the seed guys, they just want to make sure you get there. So whatever they can do to be helpful, they'll be as helpful as they can. Um, you don't want a scenario where like at this early stage, they're like super hands-on, right? Because you don't know, 
you're probably pivoting, trying to figure out your business model, figure out your pricing model. So you need some room to kind of figure that out. And they know that. So, but once you kind of get to the later stages of venture capital, yeah, you need to have all your metrics like lined up, you know? Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that statement, right? I think that, you know, obviously the way I see funding, it's like, it's literally like, like growing a plant where it's like seed, you water it, a little bit of money, yeah. it hopefully grows into a little sprout with series A and it grows a little stump, it comes to series B and it grows into a full on tree, a series C, D, E and so on, right? That's the way I see yeah, it. Yeah, no, that, that, that's not a bad analogy. That's probably where they got it from. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Um. So quick question. Have you ever faced any conflict with any of your investors where you're like, man, like this is not going to work out. Our personalities are not going to fit. I need to buy you out somehow. How do you resolve conflicts uh, among investors? And that's something that I feel like most people on the podcast don't really know how to answer. Yeah, it's a case by case basis, I would say. Um, you know, it, it actually is both dependent on what type of like note you raise it on, like compared to like a convertible note or a safe note. Industry standard is do, do safe notes. Right, because <laughs> that's more like the safer bet. Um, because there's no interest rate on it. There's no like you have to give back the money within three years of, or if you raise X amount, you have to give it back. Safe notes, like if you convert the shares and next round financing, then that's what happens. So there's a lot of protections in there for entrepreneurs at that stage. Mm -hmm. um, so you know that's typically the, the safe route. Um, but you know I would say make sure they're accredited investors. <laughs> you know you, you don't want to like mess with that. And you should be more or less upfront in terms of what stage you're, you're at, right? And it's typically for these professional investors, assuming they are professional investors, um, they know like, you know, one out of 10 or two out of 10 will, will make it and they understand the risk. If you're trying to get someone who's did one investment a year to give you their investment and he cares a lot about that, then there may be some conflict because they're not, you know, a typical traditional tech investor. They don't do a lot of these. You're asking them for like 50K, he does two a year, he's going to be maybe very focused on you if that's not what you want, right? Because mm. you don't know how it's going to scale. You're trying to figure things out. You may be scenario where like you want to stick to with traditional Silicon Valley tech investment. Yeah, yeah. That's a that's a really, really good advice, right? I think the, the quality of investor matters too. And I think that Contrary to belief where most founders are like, I'm just going to take any check that any any check that anyone believes in my company, I'll take it right now. Right. And I believe I, I used to be guilty of that too. Like, oh man, like getting so many stupid checks, I'm going to accept it all. I come to realize that not all checks have the same value and the same weight. Right. There's always like a, a personality fit as well. It's almost like not only are you dating your co founder, but you're semi dating your investors as well because they are essentially getting with you on this in the long, long haul and they have to create revision and who you are as a person and like your leadership and all those things have to align. Yeah, yeah. If you're if you're not quite sure, you can always ask for like a reference. Like, can I talk to one of your entrepreneurs that you you funded in the past, and then you can kind of see, right? So you can do some due diligence on your end if you want to. Um, but you know, if it's like a very small check, you know, and they do like twenty of them a year, I wouldn't do too much due diligence on it per se. It's just just <laughs> you know, it's, it could be just because very because as an entrepreneur, you value your time, right? As well, because you got to build the business. It's not all about fundraising, so. You know, you got to like strategize how much you want to spend on fundraising and how much you want to do because at the end of the day, you got to grow business, but the business also needs money. So you got to figure that out. No, absolutely agree. Right. I think uh, fundraising takes a toll and it takes so much time. And it, honestly, sometimes it makes you feel like crap. Sometimes it means, makes you feel like you're the best entrepreneur ever. It just, you can't let those, the way people feel about your company 
dictate how you feel about your company, right? Because you have a lot of conviction. You're going to make it work. You're going to make it work. You're going to run through walls. With that being said, too, who was handling operations and like roles and responsibilities as you guys were fundraising, right? Your company still so, needs to run yeah. as you're raising money. So what was that process like? Yeah, so that's what that's what Jeno tell you. So you say you, you do both. You, you say you just work longer hours, right? You got to essentially maintain the growth while you do fundraising. So it's not like less time is more time, and it's not like oh, I'm going to just like not do much sales and focus on the fundraising. You you can't do that. Get do both. So you know you get your you put added ten to twenty hours of additional time a week for yourself. Um, and that's one of the things that, you know, if I were to raise the next amount of financing, I would just be very cognizant of how I spend that time. Just ask a lot of questions early, like, why are you sitting in this market? You know, what about this market makes you want to invest in it? So just ask some questions early, and then you want to optimize that 10 to 20 hours you have a week. No, I agree with that, right? I think that's the most difficult part where it's literally you're taking another another full-time job to go out there and fundraise in addition to running your company. So Hats off to you, man. A lot of success I've seen so far. I can't wait to see where you guys are going to be in the next stage. So next question I have is, in terms of fundraising, what kind of rules do you have at the seed stage? Right. I know some typical for investors, no, for early time, first time founders, they're always concerned that, hey, if I raise more money, I have to give more equity, all, all sorts of those things. Do you have a baseline where it's like, I don't give up this much equity per round? Or in your case, in your seed round, what was the discussion behind that? Um, I think the C round was we said we'll only take safe notes. So with the hey, let's convert these and preferred stairs, like now let's wait for the next round, right? <laughs> so because you know, then you have a need to incur additional lawyer fees on top of that. And that could be an expense that you want, you don't want to deal with at that point in time. So that's one of the things like we're just taking safes, right? Um, and then from there, we want to essentially more or less have a very, very tight, you know, decision time period, right? You have like a, like a data room and then, you know, you have X amount of time access to that. And then after that, that's it. And we move on. So because some investors, they can just like take forever to make a decision. So, and you you don't have the time. <laughs> so you get, like, you get, you get a set some deadlines. Like, hey, this, this book, we're going to do this, this, and this. And then you make a decision here. If you don't, you walk away. And then you kind of need to actually walk away, right? And then you move on to the next investor and stuff like that. So just to make, you know, your time as big as possible, that needs to be the case. Yeah, thanks for describing speed dating, by the way. <laughs> You're like, hey, <laughs> it's not going to work. I yeah, no, that's true. Let's it's move true. on. You know, like, it's, uh, you move on. Yeah, yeah. I really appreciate you sharing that, right? And we talked a little bit about you dealing with funds, fund managers, angel investors, syndicate funds. We talked about you communicating with your investors. Can you kind of give, give us an example of like the early value that these angel investors has given you so far, right? Uh, so... Just to kind of give our listeners more more of an understanding, how does that process work when you work with like a founder? Do you schedule office hours with them? Do you is it a case by case basis where you're like you hit an emergency and you're like, hey, I need to text you? Like, how do you build that relationship with each one of your investors? Yeah, so it's more or less case by case basis. So each investor is a little bit different. So you kind of need to find out how they like with, with the founders. The majority of seeing is like, hey, just email me or call me if you need anything, right? Um, otherwise I'm out doing some other thing because they have their own companies, they have their own for whatever they're doing. Oh, sorry. So they're also fairly busy. So um I wouldn't, you know, we never have like a monthly check-in or we checked in is like if you something urgent is happening in the business and you need some feedback or bounce ideas off of, maybe this person is good for sales and marketing, this person is, is, is good for product, right? So there's certain people that have their skill sets 
So you want to just want to tap that if you have that problem. Like this guy's an expert in like SEO. So we, we're ready to do SEO right now to invest, you know, five grand a month. How do I do it? <laughs> and he'll run you through what he thinks you should do and the one that you kind of like bucket these investors in certain aspects because they have different skill sets. Not everyone's like professional investor per se at this early stage, right? So, and some diversity in your investor base is also good, right? It's like if you are having a consumer passionate goods company and you have some really good, good marketers, that could be like a group you create in like a WhatsApp group or something like that. But hey, looking to do this, you four people who invested, can you help? And maybe one or two of them like, yeah, I'm available tomorrow, right? Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with that. And I want our listeners to really know that investors not only have an interest in your growth and your future, but I think it's sort of helpful of you to think of them as extensions of you, right? Kind of similar to like, getting ready for your board in the future. Like they're supposed to be an extension of you to help you run your business and take it to the next level. That's the way I like to think of early stage investors. Like definitely utilize their skill set and don't be afraid to ask. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, you know, they can probably just only provide you their experiences. Like they're not in the weeds, so they don't know. They don't know what's actually going on. They're just like, okay, when I did this in 2020, this is what I did. This is why I did it. And this was the results. And mm-hmm. then you take that with a grain of salt because your company is slightly different, different circumstances. You're 2023 now, different market, right? So that's what they can really do. And then you gotta just like mentally take it in. And you ask someone else, you take that in. And then like, all right, based on this information, I'm gonna make this decision. And that's mm-hmm. it. They can't do it for you. <laughs> and I wouldn't even expect them to do it, you know? So mm-hmm. you just gotta make sure like you get good advice and maybe it's not relevant and you don't do it and you do it do whatever you want to do, right? Like, and they understand that, <laughs> you know, it's not like, oh, if you don't take my advice, you're like a bad entrepreneur. Like, no, you're, you're building the business. So I'm just, just provide my perspective and I believe in you as the founder. Yeah, that's really good advice, right? I think uh, you take the best piece of advice and because no one knows your business as well as you do. And that's important. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely agree with that statement. So take me back to 2021. So after you, you finished closing out your seed round, what was the, what was like the spending like? Where it's like, we need to go out there and staff our team with the right people. I think with the problem with this, like most people think that, hey, look, I have some funding. My burn rate is going to be this. But mm-hmm. contrary to belief, no matter how much you raise in the seed round, money comes out faster than you think, right? Oh, yeah. Unexpected sure. expenses. So take me back to 2021 where it's like, you, you had to prioritize. Yeah, yeah, it was the tough hiring market there's a lot of money flying around um it was hard to hire because salaries were getting crazy high so i think we hired like a recruiting firm um i refused to pay any, any retainers so it'd be performance based on but some people were paying retainers like five grand a month retainer on top of the performance fee i was like i can't i'm not, I'm not doing that um so we hired some like high level like you know bdrs type sales people to do some like you know uh, cold calling, cold, cold emailing. Um, but yeah, it was a tough hiring environment. It was a tough hiring environment. And we spent some money. We learned a lot. Um, and then we, you know, I think most of the BDRs, we ended up not keeping them for, for that long. Um, lessons learned there. But <laughs> yeah, it, it is a scenario where like you kind of need to figure out where you are in the market and how you want to market yourself and what your go-to-market strategy is, right? Um, I would say based on what stage you're at, you need to figure out how much you want to spend and what your gross levers would be, right? So if you are a tech company, you need to buy, you need to like hire software developers and build a product a little bit more, get the next stage, you do that. If it's like, I need sales and marketing, I need to put some money into like salespeople or marketing or SEO. 
Um, you do that, then you invent the product. So you have you kind of planned it out in certain stages, and you make sure like you know if it's not working, you pull the plug quickly because it's a, it's a lot of cash burn, <laughs> especially on people and, and initiatives and stuff like that. So you don't want it you know to drag on too long without like, hey, this didn't work last month. Why we keep why are we still doing it? Yeah. So just be very cognizant of that. Um, yeah. yeah. That's actually really good advice, right? I think uh, like most most entrepreneurs, we're very stubborn. And it's really hard to see that it's not working when you're in the process and you're like, oh, I just have to grind it out. I just have to push it through. So sometimes you used to tell yourself, hey, it's not working. Let's, let's pause, let's pivot, let's reflect. That's really, really good advice. Yeah. Yeah, you get a mission, you have an end goal. If this is spending money doesn't get to the end goal, you spend it somewhere else, right? There's maybe another channel that you didn't think would yield results. You spend it there, you spend it somewhere else. You keep doing it until you kind of hopefully get something that gets you a return and then you just double down on that essentially. Yeah, absolutely agree. It's like throwing stuff to the wall, see what sticks. <laughs> In some aspects, yeah, yeah, but it's more complicated than that, but sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wish it was that simple. Oh no, we're about yeah. to pivot. Let's toss in the wall and create it's stuck. All right. If we're gonna do that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess the, the next question I have is the biggest challenge I feel at the early stage is kind of determining what is what is your next milestone to fundraise, right? And, you know, yeah. obviously there are a lot, a lot of different advice with this, whether founders are like, hey, I found a product market fit, we're growing fast, we're reaching good traction, we need to raise more money. Or this founder is like, hey, we're, we, we pivoted like 10 times, now we're out of money, we need to go fundraise, right? Yeah. How do you determine your milestone for, milestone for the next round of funding where it's like you need to go out there and like dedicate and raise more money? Also, the second part of the question is, how much time would you give yourself next time fundraising for the next round? Yeah, so I would say this is probably very, so it's based on your company and where you are, but also very market dependent, right? So right now we're not in the great market compared to where we were during the pandemic stages. So valuations are down, you know, you need more for them to kind of, you know, get you to the valuation that you want. So it is that does factor, you know, it's not just your isolated box, the market dynamic doesn't matter. So I would say like, if you believe, so just good scenarios and bad scenarios, right? If you're like, if you have money, like when should I raise more money to keep my growth going would be the reason. Like I have, I know who I would hire for the next like two to three years. I need $10 million to hire these people because I see the engine going. And I think fuel to the fire, right? That's the best case scenario. <laughs> that's very rare to have. But like that's like best case scenario. Like you have complete vision into like, you know, your next like three to five years, which almost no one does. But if you see some indicators of that, then that'll be a good time to raise, right? Um, and then other aspects would be like, you know, if it's opportunistic to raise, just given that there is a good market and money is available, and it's advantageous to yourself as founders, the existing investors to shore up in capital for a rainy day, like what a lot of companies did, you know, um, a few years ago, then I would say even that would be just a good time to do it. So is, you know, it's always a question that you need to kind of ask yourself, like, do I need the money or like, is it opportunistic for me to do it? Or in some cases, you, I have to do it, right? <laughs> um, about the companies and, you know, you, you just pull a trigger at that point. Yeah. And just so we get a better understanding. So next time, how much lead time would you like give yourself where it's like, hey, we're thinking about fundraising now. I'm going to give mm -hmm. myself three months, heads down, fly everywhere. I talk to as many mm -hmm. investors as I can. 
knowing what you know now, how much time would you give yourself for next round? In, in a weird way, I'll probably give myself maybe the same amount or a little bit less to make myself like focus on getting good investors that care about the market and the company. Because I think a mistake would be just talking to everyone. Like, and then they don't really care. They haven't done any research into your market. They don't really care about construction or, or what I'm building. Then why would they write the check? You know what I mean? Like, there has to be some like mutual interest there that if you go to later stage of fundraising, that becomes more and more important because they're going to sit on your board. You can see them all the time, right? They're going to, in some ways, bet their career on a few portfolio companies. You're one of them. So if that if they're gonna make that commitment, you need to know that they actually know what they're talking about, and you're you're gonna you know have a good rapport with them, or else it's gonna be a lot of headbutting, right? For for the angel checks and stuff like that, like that won't be the dynamic you're gonna face, right? So that's less important. So it would actually be like probably the same amount of time, but just very focused in terms of who I would spend it with. Sure. Yeah, definitely. And no, I, I agree. I agree with everything you said. This is such a such an info heavy podcast. Like I love it. Right, You're giving us so much good information. <laughs> so my question for you is, and we're only, we're down to the last the last two questions. So what's next for Offsite? What's next for you? Right. Where do you guys see yourself in the next year or two? And how can our listeners support? Yeah. So you know we are an enterprise software company. So we essentially sell our software to modular and prefab factories. Um, it's a big market. A lot of the big construction companies are even moving to this as like an individual business unit that they're spinning up or an extension of what they're doing. Or, you know, there's new factories coming up every day to kind of support the affordable housing kind of price that we're having right now. Um, follow a page on LinkedIn would be one. <laughs> and and share, and share the posts, I would say. But if you happen to work in construction or work in prefabrication or have a module factory by any chance. Uh, love to have a conversation. Definitely. And the very last question is, Andrew, if you can go back in time to your fundraising for the very first time, what is the one advice you give to first-time founders trying to fundraise for the first angel check? The first angel check? Um, I would say first angel check should be friends and family. I will say that. I will say that. Because if you have existing investors, other people want to invest that you have is not just yourself, right? Um, I will say... Find a, a, a old boss, family friend that just really believes in you and like, hey, because you, you, you need that boost, you need that internal boost to kind of kind of go right. So that that's that's the motivator for sure. Someone you know believes in you. Yeah, that's a really good advice, and that's a really uh underestimated advice. Just having someone believing you because you're at the very beginning, like like anyone, right? No matter how successful they seem right now, everyone goes to that stage of like self doubt. Can I do this? Should I do this? Why should yeah. I do this? And you need that like support yeah. and affirmation. Yeah. And you're going to continue to have that throughout the whole time period. So <laughs> don't think that's going to go away. But yeah. Oh, man. What a bummer. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah. I mean, Andrew, thank you so much again for being on today's podcast. All your social media links, all your website links, we'll include that in our show notes. But again, appreciate your time this afternoon. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Of course. Hey, we hope you really enjoyed this podcast. If you liked this episode, please make sure to click on that subscribe button on whichever platform you listen to this podcast on. And come back next week for another episode of How I Raised My First Million with your host, Brian Pham.